welcome to the Why 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 Show, a comedy podcast about search histories, life, and incredulous discoveries. I'm Jingan and I'm Eliza, and in this podcast, we are going to talk about interesting things that we search for on the internet this week. But first, we need to make a small disclaimer. This is a comedy podcast, and we do our best to research the things that we find. If there's anything that is factually inaccurate, please send us your corrections through our social media channels. You can find us at YYY Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Alright, we're back. We're back from our break. Yes. Alright, so, Jingan. Yes. What is your search term of the week? My search term is... Achu syndrome. <laughs> Achu? A-C-H-O-O syndrome. A-C-H-O-O. Yeah. Achu syndrome. <laughs> Guess what is it? Achu sounds like a sneeze. Mm-hmm. Achu also sounds like the name of some uncle making desserts. <laughs> Achu desserts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Achu. I think I'm going with sneezing. Okay. Yes. Achu what? Syndrome. Syndrome. So, oh, people who sneeze very loud. Achu! <laughs> like that. Correct or not? <laughs> very close. I mean, it's part of the answer. Mm. People who sneeze very loud. People who sneeze very loud. Or no, no. no loud, no loud. People who sneeze. Yeah. But I mean, that's really good lah for people who sneeze really loud to be called Achu syndrome and then A C H O O is in the caps. That's very funny. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Almost there, but not really. It's I was very excited. If you say that it's people who sneeze very loud, right? Then I can say that my neighbor has it. Because I have a neighbor who always goes to the toilet and sneeze very, very loud. Oh my goodness. I feel like almost the whole block can like reverberate with his sneeze. Plus, it's in a small space. Yeah. Like the toilet's a small space, so it will be it. Mega amplified, you know? Amplified, yeah, yeah, that's right. No, it's not. Okay. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, so why is it? Okay, before we get into it, right? Do you sneeze when you look at the sun? Huh? when you look at a very bright light. Do I sneeze when I look at the sun? I don't know. I never pay attention to this. Eh. Hmm. I feel like I sneeze when it's very dusty. But when hmm. I look at the sun, I'm not sure. I know that some people sneeze when they look at a very bright thing. Or a like when they look at the sun. bright thing, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that day when I was walking out, and then the sun was like super hot and super bright. Then I suddenly sneezed. Then I was like, hmm? Why did I sneeze? Like, because I don't feel like uncomfortable or anything like that. Yeah, like the, it was not dusty. Yeah, it was not dusty. I, I wasn't like feeling sick or anything. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I just Google it. Like, why did I sneeze? Like, is it because it's like very hot or very bright or uh-huh. something like that? So there is a type of reflexive sneezing induced by light. Sunlight in particular called photic sneezing. Photic sneezing? Yes, and it is also known as Achu syndrome. Which stands, yeah, it stands for autosomal dominant compulsive helioophthalmic outburst of sneezing syndrome. What? Then when I Who read it, made that up? I know, right? When I read it on the article, right? I was like, are you serious? Is this an April Fool's joke? But it's not. It's not. It's legit. That is the name of the syndrome that they give to people who look at is the it, sun they and come sneeze. Up, they come up with Achu first, then they try to find the very big science words to fit in it. I, maybe? <laughs> <gasps> okay. Mm. Yeah, but it's like helio-ophthalmic, right? Helio is sun. Uh-huh. Ophthalmic is the eyes. eyes. 
So it's like sun eye sneeze. Automatic sun eye sneeze. <laughs> yes. Right? Correct, correct. Oh my goodness, what nonsense. <laughs> so this thing, right? Uh-huh. You guess how much of the population have this syndrome? Very, very few lah, because I don't know when I, Singapore's so hot, always got sunshine, mm. but I never see a lot of people sneezing. Mm. So five percent. It is known to occur in eighteen to thirty-five percent of the population. Eighteen to thirty-five? Eighteen to th- Yeah, to me it's like that's quite a surprising number. That's quite a lot leh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> is it because Singapore a lot of shelter, so we don't really come in contact with the bright sun. We're always in aircon. Maybe you like really need to look into it or something, or from like a very dark place, then you go into a very bright place. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So because it is not a problem causing thing, uh-huh. like it's not like you will stop living or like you cannot go out because uh-huh. of this problem. Uh-huh. So it, uh, not a lot of research has, has been done. Uh. Okay. Yeah. But it's so, a real thing. So you want to guess like why do people sneeze when they look at the sun? Because uh, the sun is very bright. Then the sun go inside their eyes. Then their eyes is like, oh, I want to close so bad. Okay. I don't want to burn my eyeballs. Okay. Then it's like, close the eyes. Then when you close your eyes very fast, then, hachiu, it happens. I think that's one of the theories, eh? Huh, really, man? Yeah, 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 huh? yeah, yeah. It's like similar to, yeah, there is no, uh, okay, mm. I just tell you first, there is, no, there is no, like, definitive answer. Oh. But there are, like, many guesses. Okay. And, like, some of them are closer than the others, like, Oh, oh. Yeah. I want to go another one. Another hypothesis. Is, uh, uh, the part in your brain that controls the eyes yes. is very near the nose part and the mouth part. And it's like, this Correct. part kind of yeah. uh, stimul- stimulated. Then it's like, uh, like a tickle. Yes. And the nose <laughs> and the mouth got tickled. And hachiu! Correct, correct, correct. Yes. Can, uh, can, one uh. of the theories yeah. is that mm-hmm. maybe the optic nerve. Mm-hmm. It gets crossed with the fifth cranial nerve. <gasps> and then the brain mistakes that as an irritant, the optic thing, right? As uh. an irritant in the nose. Oh, so instead of the sunlight tickle your eyes, uh. then your brain confused, so it tickle your nose. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah, correct. I can be scientist, I can be scientist. After I do this podcast, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I can be scientist already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sneezing is because you want to get rid of stuff in your nose. Mm. Like germs or like irritants. Mm. But like the light doesn't cause that. Ma. So mm. like why you sneeze, right? Mm. Yeah, that's why like scientists are like, that's the main question basically. Mm. Yeah. So could it be that people are allergic to sunlight? Are there some people, small percentage, they're allergic to sunlight? Maybe, but not in that way. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I saw before people must wear the space suit and go outside. Yeah. But they are not, not this. It doesn't cause them to sneeze. It actually causes them to blister. Yes, I feel like it's more like the UV rays cause problems. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. It's different, different. Okay, yeah, yeah, continue, yeah. continue. <laughs> so scientists know that it seems to be genetic. Mm. Like as in within a family, if there's somebody that sneezes then they look at the sun, mm. there's probably another person in the family that sneezes when they look at the sun. Mm. Yeah. And they can repeat this sneeze it's like almost on command. So like, like they look at the bright light, then they can sneeze really. Mm. Like they can control it. La. Wow. Yeah, so some kind of superpower. I need to try Not it. Not a very good one. Yeah, you can try. 
<laughs> tonight, tonight. On the, I used the cell phone shine my eyes. For me, I tried already. Then I was like wondering whether, you know, the time I sneeze outside, whether well, it's because of the sun or not. Uh, it's not like, because when I look at the very bright sun, then I didn't sneeze. You look directly at the sun? Uh? Yeah, for it a while. Sunburn your not, eyeball? Not, um, as in like, when I look away, then yeah, like, there's like a burn mark, you know. I'm not supposed to do that. Okay, okay, not very long. Okay. I didn't look very long at it. <laughs> I, I, I will use something safer. I'll use my handphone light to shine my eyes. <laughs> okay, okay. Other theories mm. is that what you said. Mm. Like, because it make you very bright, right? Then your your eye, like... Want to close. Want to close. Then you will, like... It will trigger the system in your brain mm. that is in charge of involuntary uh, actions. Oh. Yeah. A bit like the wire cross wrong, that kind of oh, thing. Also oh, the same. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. But it doesn't explain why some people have, some people don't have. Oh. Mm. That's true. There is a study in Switzerland, 2010. Then they found that the sneezer, right, the, the people who like the sun and sneeze, the, their brains are more sensitive to visuals oh, compared nice. to the non-sneezer. Mm. Yeah. So there might be some like deep brain processing gene. Oh. It's like different. That's mm. why they have different reactions. A genetic thing. Yes. Okay, the last one is that uh, it might be a leftover trait of evolution mm? because it's more advantageous for a baby's survival to sneeze more. Why? Oh, to get, get rid, rid of, of the, the pathogens and things inside yeah. their system. Oh. Yeah. That's quite interesting theory also. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah, the yeah. baby will face the sun, right? A lot. They will lie down. They will lie on their back and like, ah, ah, ah. then you make them sneeze more then all the pathogens come out. <laughs> so it was like, okay, 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 I accept, I accept. Yeah, can, quite can, interesting, can. yeah, mm. theory. So it's a bit of a hazard for drivers because when they go inside the tunnel, right, mm. very dark, right, very, very dark, very dark, then suddenly very bright. Mm. Then sometimes they'll sneeze. Then they might lose control of the car. Wow, can uh. Apparently, la, it's a bit of a hazard. La. Oh, okay. Yeah, then also for other professions, like high-wire acrobats. Like if the spotlight accidentally shine on them, then they stand on the wire, then they Whoa. on the oh, wire, okay. then of course, you oh. know. Yeah, or like airplane pilots. Oh. So what's the solution? Wear sunglasses. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, right. Then what? <laughs> <laughs> so duh. <laughs> Yes, sunglasses is the solution. I thought I would surprise you with the solution. My sunglasses are so easy. (laughs) And then I say warning, do not use flash photography or you will disturb the performers. Exactly. Right? That's right. Yeah. They always say that. That's 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 what they always say. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. In case they sneeze. (laughs) So I thought it was very funny that yours actually called Artru syndrome. That's why I wanted to tell you. I'm also very amused by the name. Alright, Eliza, what is your search term of the week? My search term is... Spaceship Earth. Spaceship Earth? Spaceship Earth. It's a conspiracy theory that the Earth is actually a spaceship. Why Why are you so confident? Eh? No, con- not confident at all. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I haven't even asked you to guess. Uh, you like confidently say it's a conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. <laughs> Okay, what? What's your other guess? Come, lie. <laughs> um, it is a plan to make a spaceship that is like a second Earth. Wrong. Dang. Huh. Spaceship Earth. You're quite close in both aspects, but both are wrong. Okay, then. Uh, it is 
blueprint mm. of a spaceship mm. and then inside the spaceship mm. got an earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> got a small your, earth. Your guesses are getting worse and worse. <laughs> I don't know. I thought you say earth inside got one small spaceship still can. Uh. Inside the spaceship got one small earth is like huh? <laughs> how? How can? A mega spaceship very very big spaceship. Okay, wrong, 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 wrong. Okay. Okay, okay. Spaceship Earth is a world view oh. that encourages everyone on Earth to act as a harmonious crew working towards the greater good. Oh. So cool, right? Oh, it's like Spaceship You. Mm. But like Spaceship Earth. Earth. Okay. Spaceship You is you yourself inside your own room during mm. COVID lockdown. Yes. Trying to navigate. Your life. Yes, and you must split your room into a different partner. Yeah, okay. that's spaceship you. But this is spaceship Earth. Mm. Everybody on Earth is a crew member on this spaceship. And we are working together to make this spaceship not explode. Yes, we should, we should, we should. <laughs> and we are all travelling through space, which makes sense. Right, 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 yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, so the earliest known use of this term, spaceship Earth, is not very recent. Oh. Hmm. When? More than 100 years ago. Oh, okay, <laughs> We already okay. got this concept already. Okay, okay. okay. Early it's written 1900s. in 1879 ah. by this American political economist and journalist called Henry George. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a passage from Progress and Poverty and it says, it is a well-provisioned ship, this on which we sail through space. Wow, so poetic. Sometimes it. Huh? Yeah, and it has actually been referenced by many authors, speakers, and essayists. Mm. And one of the more famous examples is George Orwell. Okay, question yes. for you. What books did George Orwell write? Name a famous one. Animal Farm. Ding, ding, ding. 1984. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, correct already. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Almost say 1983, but okay. 1984, correct, correct. And Animal Farm, yeah, very, very, very correct. Okay, so George Orwell, right, has also paraphrased Henry George in his 1937 book, The Road to Wigan Pier. And it's very interesting how he puts it. Mm -hmm. The world is a raft sailing through space with potentially plenty of provisions for everybody. Mm. The idea that we must all cooperate and see to it that everyone does his fair share of the work and gets his fair share of the provisions seems so blatantly obvious that one would say that no one could possibly fail to accept it unless he had some corrupt motive for clinging to the present system. Indeed. Right? I agree. Yes. Indeed. This is totally resonating with the humanist thing. Jingan is like, yes! Yes, we should all share everything. Yeah! Okay, in 1965, Adlai Stevenson, he's an American lawyer, politician, and diplomat. He made a famous speech to the UN, and he also referenced this spaceship Earth. Mm-hmm. We travel together, passengers on a little spaceship, dependent on its vulnerable reserves of air and soil, all committed for our safety to its security and peace. Preserved from annihilation only by the care, the work, and I will say, the love we give our fragile craft. We cannot maintain it half fortunate, half miserable, half confident, half despairing, half slave to the ancient enemies of men, half free in a liberation of resources undreamed of until this day. No craft, no crew can travel safely with such vast contradictions. 
on their resolution depends the survival of us all. Nice. Is it you want to put music behind your speech? Okay, okay, okay. But don't you think it's, it's awesome? It means that we cannot be half ass about it. La. Yeah, la. Like, half cannot be like, yeah, I want to do it. Then half is like, eh, don't need, la, don't care. Then cannot. La. Exactly. Like everybody just die together. Exactly. I mean, that's his TLDR. Everybody is vital on the ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just cooperate and everybody can work together to do something. Mm-hmm. 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 As we know, we work best as a team. Humans. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Suddenly become PSA. <laughs> okay, so anyway, the reason I stumbled upon this spaceship Earth, right, is because I was researching this guy called Buckminster Fuller. Mm. He is an American architect, author, designer, inventor, and futurist. Yes. And he's actually a very interesting man. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he got kicked out of Harvard twice for being irresponsible. Uh-huh. Then he worked out jobs. And then he got depression and anxiety. Okay. Partly because his four-year-old daughter died from polio and spinal meningitis. Oh no, that's so tragic. Yeah. And then at 32, he lost his job. He had no more savings. And his wife had just gave birth to another daughter. Ah, okay. Mm, so he was stressed. Mm. Okay. Then he was contemplating killing himself so okay. that his family can get a life insurance payout. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm. Yeah, cost no money already. Mm. Yeah. And then that was when he had an epiphany. Okay. Yeah. He felt a voice say to him, You do not have the right to eliminate yourself. You do not belong to you. You belong to the universe. Mm. Your significance will remain forever obscure to you, but you may assume that you are fulfilling your role if you apply yourself to converting your experiences to the highest advantage of others. Hmm. Interesting, right? Yes. What a good perspective. You don't live for just you or the people you care about. Mm. Mm. And then you will not know what is your significance. Mm. But you can assume that you fulfill your role if you just apply yourself to the greater good, the benefit of others. Yes, this actually reminds me of my second mm-hmm. search term later on, which I'll talk about. <gasps> so exciting! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, you know, this epiphany made him re-examine his life and he decided to embark on an experiment to find what a single individual could contribute to changing the world and benefiting all of humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, in recent times, he is one of those who popularized this spaceship Earth concept. Because, mm. I mean... Over time, people forget. Yeah, because yep. written about hundred over years ago, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and then he came up with an operating manual for spaceship Earth, la. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so he realized that it hey, actually a lot of people talk about spaceship Earth, but nobody write a manual for it. There's no manual. No one gives That's us cool. a manual, so he yeah. wrote one. Yeah, it's quite a chim book, but it contains a lot of his thoughts about how humanity can make more efficient use of energy and technology to solve a lot of today's problems. Mm. Yeah, like for example, our over-reliance on fossil fuels yes. and how to redistribute resources and wealth. Mm. So one of his core beliefs is that our technology today has reached a critical level that if we all work together, right, competition for necessities is not necessary anymore. Mm. And that cooperation right, is the optimum survival strategy for humanity. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. actually our technology is at the point whereby everybody can just don't compete. Yeah. Right? Can just work together to like, you know, look for... We can progress further. To, yeah. Either ways to protect Earth. Yes. Or to go further. To explore the universe. Mm. Yeah. Like there's so much more that can be done, right? Yes. Yeah. And then he declared, right, selfishness is unnecessary and henceforth unrationalizable. 
war is obsolete. Mm. Then he criticized previous utopian schemes as being too exclusive. Mm. Yeah. To work, everybody needs to be included inside the utopia. Yes, mm. indeed. Yes. Okay, that's it for Spaceship Earth. Nice. Very, very interesting concept. I think I'll look more into it. Yes. It is time for our special segment. Three things to Google from a friend. Okay, so last week, we went to a potluck. It's P-O-D. Luck. <laughs> um, yes. Podcaster's potluck. Yes, it mm-hmm. was very fun. Yes, yes, yes. And then uh, we met quite a few of the local podcasters. Mm-hmm. And we received a few interesting subjects. Yes. Alright, so first one from Prashin. Wedding rings on toes. Oh, yes. Because he was talking about his wedding ring and because he dislocated his finger. So he was saying like he probably can't wear it because it's a bit swollen, right? Then, yes. then you were saying like, oh, you can wear it on your toe or something like and that. And then he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some <laughs> cultures actually wear their wedding rings on toes. Yes, yes. This is our system. So which cultures wear their wedding rings on their toes? Oh my gosh. There are so many toe rings. Tell us. Okay, so in India, there are many, many cultures lah. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the cultures that believe that wearing the toe ring has a certain significance to it. Mm-hmm. So they believe that the nerve of the second toe finger is... Second toe finger or second toe? They say second toe finger on the website. The toe beside your big toe. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's thought to pass via the heart and be related to the uterus. Oh. As a result... Oh, so it's like fertility like that. Yes, so wearing a toe ring helps to keep the uterus blood pressure in check. It also aids in the control of a woman's menstrual cycle. Oh, yeah. interesting, and interesting. Apparently, it's, like, it's for health reasons. Oh. So they think that these vital energy routes right, pass through the toes. Mm. So wearing the toe rings actually helps to preserve a woman's life force balance. Oh, wow. Yeah. I look into the history of it. The wearing of toe rings has been practiced in India since ancient times. So there is like some lore about it. Mm-hmm. So in the Ramayana, there's a mention of Sita being abducted by Ravana, throwing mm. her toe ring down so that Lord Rama could find her. Mm. So there is some lore about toe rings already. Mm-hmm. So toe rings worn by a woman signify that she's married. In many different Indian cultures, the husband put the toe rings on the second toe of both of the wife's feet during the wedding ceremony. It's actually worn as a symbol of being married by Hindu women. And it's called the Bichiya in Hindi, Minji in Malayalam, and Pada Juntika in Odia language. So there's actually a lot of names for it. It's not just one. I'm just reading like three of them. But mm. in different parts of India, yes. they have different names for it. But mm. it essentially is a sign or a symbol that the lady is married. Ah, uh, okay, understand. So That's why it's a wedding ring in a yes. sense. Yeah. They say that uh, some Hindu girls who are unmarried, they may put toe rings on the third toe to help ease their menstrual pain because they believe that it's all connected. Yeah, so just now what I was talking about, right, uh-huh. the nerve, right, is actually an acupuncture thing. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the uh, Chinese and Asian tradition, we, yes, also, we call it acupuncture, like, basically. Yeah, and the foot reflexology, right? Yeah, 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 right, yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah. Correct, correct. So we also believe in this kind of thing. Yes. I think it's a very Asian thing. Like, mm-hmm. the foot is very connected to your organs and all that, you know? Yes, yes. Okay, so the second search term that we have is from Devel. What sounds do rabbits make? Because she had a honking rabbit called Steve. <laughs> like, it honked very quietly. Honk, like every time honk. it moved, it honked. Like, honk, 
Kong. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Apparently, it's because the rabbit has a respiratory problem. Yeah, but then what is the correct sound a rabbit should make? Oh, That's the yes. question. Yes. Yeah. So we were discussing that um, most likely rabbits don't make a lot of noise because they need to be quiet in the wild. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they need to be very, very quiet. Because, because they are like, prey, right? Yes, they, they want prey. to alarm many predators. Yes. Uh-huh. And they are very quiet. Like when I was in UK, in my university, there was a lot of rabbits. Uh-huh. And... Like, every time you, like, kind of scare them, they'll all run away, but you don't hear them running away. No, I I, yes? I don't believe in that. I believe that rabbits will scream, like, squeal. Like, okay. if you pick them up, I, I imagine, I imagine. Because yes. that's how my brother's hamsters screamed when they <laughs> be, yeah, So it's like, <laughs> I believe that they make noise, but it's only when they are, like, super in distress. I mean, like, if a freaking hawk come down and swoop you up, then as yeah. a rabbit, you won't scream, man. You'll sure scream one, what? Suddenly get snatched and fly up like you never even fly before in your life. Uh, so that's true. Scream eee! like that. Okay. That's that is high distress. <laughs> right? <laughs> if a hawk can't pick you up. What sounds the rabbits make? I'm sure they scream. I don't think they are completely silent. Dion says they are very silent. She chased them and she chased them and, and they are silent. Alright. <laughs> what? Why you laughed? Uh, it seems like there's a list of sounds that rabbits do make. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, they are not completely silent. <laughs> a list of sounds. Okay, let's look at it. Oh, it's true, it's true. What, what we said just now is true. Okay, okay. They okay. make a loud squeal if they are in great distress or fear. Mm. They generally express themselves by means of a variety of gestures like thumping, kicking, jumping or okay. rolling, rolling over. Okay. Here are some rabbit noises you might hear and their possible meanings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> clucking. Number one is clucking. Eh. Oh, it sounds like a hiccup. <laughs> oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be heard when the bunny is dozing. That means he's very contented. Oh, Aww. he's falling asleep. Oh. Okay. Then if the rabbit is very angry, mm. it might growl or hiss. Growl! Growl! <laughs> yeah, the rabbit will say, leave me alone. Oh my goodness, that's yeah. very funny. It can growl, hiss and grunt. Eh. Oh my god, this article is very funny. It would be a good idea to leave your rabbit alone to calm down. <laughs> of course lah! Okay, third one. Honking. Honking! Honking! It's a sound made by a rabbit who's annoyed. Oh. If for instance, your rabbit is exercising and you try to pick him up, Honking yep. is a way of saying, let me carry on hopping, hopping about. about. <laughs> let me carry on Hong Hong Hong. <laughs> but hers is not an angry Hong. Hers was a very quiet Hong every time yes. it hops. So yes. after that, they realised it was a sinus problem. Yes. <laughs> Cannot breathe properly. Got annoyed honking eh. Yeah. Okay. Okay, next sound. Muttering. Your rabbit is probably unhappy or cross. Why everything also not happy then? So oh. when the rabbit make noise, that means he's not happy already. Ah, yeah. unless <laughs> unless it is clucking, yes, which means it is contented. But everything else, right, is angry. <gasps> teeth grinding and tooth purring. Okay, so teeth grinding is loud an indication that your rabbit is in pain or stress. Oh, but tooth purring mm-hmm. is a different sound. Oh. It's an expression of contentment. Oh. So it's like when you know when you pet a cat, then it purrs. Oh, it's the purring like that. Right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Tooth purring, eh. They use their teeth to make the purring sound, eh. 
Yes. Oh. Okay, screaming or loud squealing is great alarm or extreme pain. See, I told you if the hawk come and catch him, he surely scream one. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I mean, if he catch you, you also scream, right? Yeah, I also scream. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Something from the sky didn't pluck you and then bring you... <laughs> Fly so high and eh? I'll fly before. Just scream what? Okay, next. Wheezing and whining. Wheezing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If they have breathing problem, you can hear ma. Normal humans also what? If yes. you wheeze, that means you got breathing problem. Yes. Ah. Okay. Whining. Are you also cute? Can whine one eh? Repeat. Oh. It's curious or annoyed. Then sometimes it wants to seek attention. Then it will whine. Oh my gosh. So cute. Okay, so there's actually a lot of noises. Okay. The rabbit's surprising palette of noises. What does the rabbit say? Clack, 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 clack. Hong, 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 hong. Oh my gosh. Purr, 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 purr. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, so the last search term yes. is from Natalie. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is in response to a search term from previous episode. Why does pizza taste so good? Yes. So her search term is, does pizza really taste good to everyone? Oh. Because her grandmother said that eating pizza mm-hmm. is like eating tree bark. <laughs> it's like ha ha dry dry one. Like, I don't know why young people like to eat. <laughs> the texture is not good. Yes. So how does culture affect people's taste in foods? Ah, I bet it affects it a lot. <laughs> you know when I Google it, right? All my listings is like, why does pizza taste so good? Eight reasons why pizza tastes so good. Why everyone loves eating pizza there at the bottom, right? God, people ask, is it weird to not like pizza? <laughs> oh no, this person is feeling isolated. Why why he don't like pizza? Let's see. Cause it's fast food. <laughs> and and apparently after he asked that question, he's not the only one. A lot of people like agree that they don't like it. Okay, I'm going to look at her sub-question. Yes. Of whether culture affects people's taste. Okay. <laughs> yes, 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 it does, right at the top. Science direct. Culture is a key element. Key element. <laughs> that influences consumers' food choices and their food-related attitudes and beliefs. It modulates their behavior, adjusts their sense of taste, and guides their preferences. Oh my goodness. Therefore, culture influences individual and social group representation processes. Wow, there you scroll down a bit, right? There is a white paper called Taste as a social sense. Rethinking mm. taste as a cultural activity. Mm. Oh my goodness. And it's been cited like 10 times and this and that. It's like a true paper about how much culture <laughs> affects. affects taste. And taste is actually not an individual construct. It is a social construct. I see. <gasps> yes. There I is, believe so. I believe so. There is so much research already done on yes, this. indeed. It so, might feel like everyone, but it probably is not. Yeah. yeah. There is a BBC article that even says, why some cultures love the taste you hate. Yes, exactly. Like, for example, in the Scandinavian countries, they like to eat the pickled fish thing. Mm. And it's just like so completely out of my mm. comfort zone, right? Mm. That it's like, how can you even enjoy this thing? But they can because it's the culture that they grew up with. Wow. And you know, um, I'm looking at this BBC article, right? Yes. And they are saying that when this, this Westerner, he went to visit Shanghai, mm-hmm. that he cannot accept the chou tofu smell. <laughs> he super cannot accept. Indeed. And then the funny thing is, when he talked to his Chinese friends, right? Mm. Then he say that the younger 
people, they can mm. accept cheese, la, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the older folks, right? Mm. To them, right? Cheese is such a smelly and disgusting thing. Like. Yes, yes, Like, yes. they cannot accept. Because in China, last time, they don't eat a lot of dairy, for one. Mm. And then, they never ever fermented dairy. Like, why would you let the dairy go bad? Like, mm. they cannot understand, you know. Mm. I think my grandma also, I remember, like, if you show her something with cheese, right? She's like, why would you want to eat such a disgusting thing? Mm. Yeah. It's like durian, la. <gasps> for us. Yes. Right? Yes. And I feel strongly, right? That food is related to memories. Oh, yes. Food has emotional connotations. Yes, yes. So if your memory of this particular food is very bad, right? Yes. Like you, you've had like food poisoning or like you choke on it or something like that, then you will hate this food. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, some of the other controversial foods are like Vegemite oh. or Marmite. Mm, mm, yeah. Some people, especially people in Australia and New Zealand, they grow up eating it as mm. a breakfast food. Mm. But a lot of people are not exposed to this item. In the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. they'll be like, why is that very gross sludge? And also like the very controversial foods, right? Mm. Normally are very strong tasting. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So yes. that's why it's controversial. Yes. yes. Okay. Conclusion. Not everybody <laughs> likes pizza. Okay, got it. <laughs> it still tastes good though to me. Mm. To you. <laughs> Keyword. To me. Do, 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 do. Okay, so that's the end of our special segment. Alright. So, Jan, what is your second search term of the week? Okay, my second search term is... Mrs. Beaton's Book of Household Management. What? <laughs> is that your search term or is that your recommendation? Are you recommending that book? I'm not recommending it. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you search this? You what? Doing home econs, ah? It's very funny. Okay, okay. So why did I search this, right? Yes. Because I found out about this <laughs> thing on Reddit. Okay, mm. the, this other search term, right, is my mini search term within my big search term. Okay. Okay, mm. so the mini search term is... Toast sandwich. Toast sandwich? Yes, toast sandwich. Okay. So what is toast sandwich? Sandwich that is toasted lah. Like no. You, to- uh-huh. That is toasted sandwich. Huh? The wiki article is specifically says toast sandwich, not to be confused with toasted sandwich. What? What? Then what is toast sandwich? Yes lah, what is it? You okay, you make the toast first. Okay. Then you keep something inside. Now it's not toasted sandwich. Toasted sandwich is you keep the thing first, they put inside the toaster. Oh, you mean like the order of yes, the yes, cooking? Yes, 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 yes. Oh. Toast sandwich is you toast the thing, bread first, then the bread come out already, then you put the thing. No. <laughs> then what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? Peng <laughs> How can it be anything else? It is a sandwich. Ah. With toast in the middle. Huh? <laughs> what? No, what? You mean you kept? You kept yes. the toast bread inside the bread. It's exactly what it sounds like. It is a sandwich with a piece of toast inside. Huh? Then it's bread, kept bread. Yeah, correct. <laughs> so it's bread, bread, bread. Got any other tasty things on it? <laughs> so I was like, is this for real or not? Because this yeah. is on Reddit, right? Then they show like this picture of this wiki article. Uh-huh. Then I was like, real? Is this real? It's a British food. Lah. Then I'm like, and then they always like to, you know, laugh at British for being very bad at cooking. Uh-huh. Yeah, so the recipe for mm. the toast sandwich mm. is a sandwich in which the filling between two slices of bread is itself a thin slice of toasted bread, which may be buttered. 
And you can add salt and pepper to taste. Butter, salt and pepper <laughs> on bread. Yeah, <laughs> inside bread. Nice, man. Nice, man. Got other thing, got ham, tomato, okay, yeah, okay, or okay, anything okay, or okay. not. The recipe also adds that this sandwich may be varied by adding a little pulled meat. Or very. I'm going to say a little poop. Eh? I was like, no, not poop. A not little pulled meat. meat. A pulled meat. Yeah, okay, or okay. very fine slices of cold meat to okay. the toast. Okay, so like ham. La. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cold cuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. then. So, and this will be uh, very tempting to the appetite of an invalid. By the way, this is the first time I know that. Invalid. The, yeah, the word invalid, right? It's supposed to be said as invalid. Invalid. Mm. Yeah, so we pronounced that way. Okay. Yeah. So, it's very tempting to an invalid. Okay, because yeah. the invalid got no choice, ma. You put it in the mouth, then he has to eat. Wa. Walao, eh. If you ask him he want bubble tea or not, of course he say he want, la, but whether he can swallow the pearl or not, it's another thing, what? <laughs> so, it's so random, right? Yeah. So dumb, right? Yeah. So, you guess how old this recipe is? How old? How old, yeah, is this recipe? Okay, it's a long time ago before there was things like bubble tea. Yes. It's like... How long? Uh, after the war when there was nothing. Nothing much to eat. Okay lah. So still 1900s lah. Correct? No, 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 no. World War One. Yes. Uh, 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking what dark ages already. <laughs> okay, can, can, can. Mm. Okay, so this recipe is actually found in a book mm. called Mrs. Beaton's Book of Household Management mm. which is first published in 1861. Okay. It's okay. not after the war, it's before the war. Yep. Okay. So I was thinking what kind of book is this la, to produce this very unappetizing and ridiculous recipe. Mm. So it, it might be like just some very obscure and ancient book that I was like, okay, I'll read about it. Like what this book is about. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, when I read the wiki article, this book has like thousand plus pages. And it has been like revised through the years, like shorter, longer, shorter, longer. Then... It is still in print. Huh? Okay. So I was like, hmm, what's going on with this book, right? Then, okay, it says Mrs. Beaton, right? Her real name is Isabella Beaton. Okay. Yeah, and her motivation for writing the book is as quoted here. What moved me in the first instance to attempt a work like this was the discomfort and suffering which I had seen brought upon men and women by household mismanagement. I had okay. always thought that there is no more fruitful source of family discontent than a housewife's badly cooked dinners and untidy ways. Then this this thing very good, man. This this recipe very good, man. I'm exactly. so confused. I'm like, huh? Exactly. She not happy with bad food and bad management of the house. Then, then she come out with one this toast sandwich. Toast sandwich. What? Huh? Okay. Yeah, so I was like, I thought the same as you. And then, yeah, in the article it says that for a book that is called A Book of Household Management, uh-huh. it has only 23 pages on household management uh-huh. and the rest of the 900 is like cooking. <gasps> mostly cooking. Okay, so it's a okay, recipe so book like, uh, disguised a as a homie con book. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And this person wrote the book when she was like 21 years old to 25 years old. Okay. So it's a bit, a bit sketchy. Like, how come she knows so much right at this age? Yeah. Yeah. So later on the wiki article, there's like mentions of it being quite inconsistent. It's also because like there has been revisions throughout the years. Oh, okay. Okay. So 
uh, people were actually wondering whether Mrs. Beaton is actually even a good cook at all because they are of weird recipes like this. And mm. also it recommends things like boiling pasta for an hour and 45 minutes. Boiling pasta <laughs> for an hour and 45 minutes? Yeah, now how Her long? pasta from where? Yeah, exactly. Is it 9 minutes uh, or 8 minutes, 11 <laughs> minutes at most. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Pasta from where? Okay, and having very conflicting opinions on tomato on the same page. Like, she like it, then she don't like it. Then she like it, then she don't like it. Anyway, as I read more about this book, <laughs> uh-huh. and I found out more about it, my perception of this book actually began to change. Okay. Because I went to watch a video about it also. Is it a real book or not? It's just a troll thing. Uh? It's a real book. It's a real book. And it's a very important book. <gasps> very traditional, very important in British culture. And it's like those kind that, you know, people will say like, oh, my grandma has a copy of this in my kitchen, like what? ancient copy of this thing. Okay. Yeah. And like, you know, it's quite famous in their culture. Like they actually know who Mrs. Beaton is if you actually like ask them about it. Okay. Yeah. So it's, a his- it's historical and cultural in a yes. sense. Yes. Hmm. And why is it that way? It's because it was very useful for the people at that time. So this is when... Queen Victoria uh-huh. so was taking over the world. La. Like they own, a, they are col- colonizing the entire world. Okay. So basically, Britain is becoming more and more powerful, mm. and more and more people are entering the middle class. Mm. So they don't really know how to be middle class or how to like manage a household, that mm. kind of thing. So she thought that it would be easier if she wrote a book about this mm. and like uh, wrote recipes in ways that people can understand. Mm. So she actually had very strong influence in the building or shaping of a middle-class identity in the Victorian era. What? Okay. Yes. And the background of this Mrs. Beaton, right, Isabella Beaton, she spent her childhood on the race course grounds with like 16 other siblings, 16, many of whom she actually raised and Mm -hmm. she brought them up. This actually gave her an insight on how to run a household. (gasps) Oh, okay. So she like, yeah, she learned through this like very... By taking care of her siblings lah. Yeah, and it was in the race course grounds, you know, and then like she like has a lot of chaos in her life. Uh That's why she likes to make lists of like, for example, the ingredients or Uh. like what's the cost of this, making this meal. Okay. Yeah, so it's actually a revolutionary cookbook. Mm. Because previously, right, the cookbooks were written by like... Uh, French or Italian chefs mm. and it's like very difficult to understand and it's all words oh, but okay. hers is like you know there is a clear uh, categorization of things like for example there's the ingredients then there's the time it takes to cook this thing whether it's in season or not what's the season to cook this oh. and then like pictures to show what the this food will come out like like some drawing uh, illustrations oh illustrations okay okay yeah she really made it very accessible for middle-income housewives and it's like their first time like you know being a middle-class person oh so this is like their guide like you know that's why it shaped the culture then oh yeah yeah i feel like you know like because just now you said right mm. no matter how small you are you're actually like contributing in some way and you don't even mm. know like as long as you live your life fully mm. you might have impact on other people mm. and she did she she died very early she died at the age of 28 mm. and her husband actually sold away the rights to the 
the book quite oh, early no. on. Okay. Yeah, but her book actually mm. went on to be such an important yes. influence. Your significance will forever be obscure to you. Yeah. Yeah. But exactly. as long as you work towards the greater good of others, right? Yes. You can just be assured that yeah, you are fulfilling your role. Yes. Mm. And now it is actually still in print mm. as of 2016 mm-hmm. by Oxford University Press. Wow. Because why? Because they want to understand what mm. was the life like in the Victorian times. Oh, oh wow, smart. Yeah. Mm. It's like a, a like a a peak, like a window into yes. that time. Yes. Mm. And it's also like the root of a lot of like traditional English dishes. Mm. Yes. Okay, so she Very did a, like a documentation of it. Yeah, because I actually went to watch the video and actually there are other like recipes that make a lot more sense. Like, okay, you know, that's just one of her troll entries. Yeah. <laughs> For invalids. <laughs> Goodness. Okay, yeah. Just wanted to show you this very interesting journey mm. that I went on. on. Yes, yeah. I will definitely search it out also to yeah. go look, to go and read about it. Very interesting. Okay, Eliza, what is your second search term of the week? My search term is. Why do I feel sad and tired after feeling excited and happy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to give the listeners some context. Okay. So last weekend, mm-hmm. we had a long weekend in Singapore. Mm, yes. So it was Saturday, Sunday, then Monday was a public holiday, Labor Day. Yes. Tuesday was a public holiday again, Hari Raya. Mm. And then also COVID restrictions got lifted. Yes. Yeah. And then a lot of people went to celebrate Mother's Day also mm. last weekend. Mm. Yeah, so I also went to celebrate Mother's Day with my family early too. Mm. And then after that, right, after all this long weekend is over, mm. I really didn't feel like working or doing anything. <laughs> it's like so difficult to get started. It's like the inertia is so big. <laughs> and then I'm just like a mopey and just like... Oh. <laughs> then previously, right, on the podcast, we talked about social hangover, right? Yes. But last week, like yeah. last weekend, I didn't spend all the time socializing. Yes. Most of the time, I was alone at home, chilling and enjoying this very long public holiday. Oh, okay. For me, I was like going out quite a lot because my family was like celebrating. Mother's Day also. Uh. Yeah, Celebrity. Mother's Day. Mm. And then there were other things happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like the potluck law that we attended. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like thinking, hey, if I got enough time to rest from the social gatherings, which was not a lot. Mm. And I was like actually enjoying myself. I actually had a good time like during the long weekend. Yes. Then what is this feeling that I'm feeling after it? Mm. Yeah. Languishing. <laughs> yeah, what is it? What is it? What is it? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, right? Like after holiday, you go for holiday. Yes. Or go vacation. Yes. It's the holiday blues. You go somewhere and do something. Like, oh no, I can't, I can't chill and cave mode anymore. Okay, you can't know. Can't do nothing. Okay, very good, very good. You know what it is. Yes. I'm not alone. <laughs> yes. It actually has a name at eh, this thing. Okay. It's called happiness hangover. Oh my gosh. Why does everything have a hangover? <laughs> and it is a legit thing. It's like also known as holiday blues, birthday blues. Mm. You know? Mm. Yeah, and psychologists already know that it exists mm. for a long time. Okay, okay, my guess is that emotions are relative. So when you get a very happy feeling... Mm. Then, of course, when you get back to normal, you feel a drop. Mm. It's relativity. Mm. <laughs> That's very, very close, very close. Yeah. Okay, so what happens in a happiness hangover, right? It's after mm. a positive event, we might feel down or low energy mm. or feel tired or lonely, even if we are not alone. Mm. We might even have a sense of now what or a loss of purpose. Okay, okay. Yeah. 
I mean, just now you say that, oh, you know how this feeling is, right? Mm. Do you want to list some examples of events that can trigger a happiness hangover? For me, it's like performances sometimes also give oh, me that. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm. And then like... Like leading up to a performance, there are a lot of anticipation. And anxiety. Ah. <laughs> then, after perform, <laughs> then it's like this is very happy, then I celebrate everybody. Then after that? Then sad. Oh. <laughs> It's like lead up, lead up, lead up. Yeah. Uh-huh. I guess it's no lie. Like, yeah. Like, just like now what, right? And then you have to start again. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. That yes, kind of yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, all the things that we listed, it also can be a milestone. Like, for example, a graduation from ah, school yes, or yes. something. It could be a wedding, like your own wedding. Mm. It could be having a baby. Some people really look forward to having a baby. They mm-hmm. have it, then like, oh no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now it's motherhood or fatherhood. Yes, yes. Uh, retirement. A lot of people look forward to retirement. Then after that, when they finally throw in their letter and they're free, then they're just like, oh no. Mm. Is this like planning of some very big event and then you keep looking forward, looking forward, looking forward mm. until it comes. Then when it is done, then uh. you kind of like, oh, uh. <laughs> there's no goal anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it can be something simple. So like maybe you have a very big project, then the project ends. Yes. Or maybe you are going to join a race. Mm. Yeah, then you prepare for the race. Then you race already then. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. So apparently, right, there's a biological reason for this. Okay. Yes. And what? from an evolutionary standpoint, <laughs> yes. pleasure is life-affirming. Okay. That's why we feel good with food, sex, shelter, when we are safe, when we are with loved ones. Mm. It's always life-affirming. It keeps the organism safe and propagates life. Yes. That's the whole reason why there is pleasure. Okay, okay. Okay. And because we as humans, right, we are capable of higher order thinking, mm-hmm. we can have deeper pleasure, okay, happiness. Like if we go and take a walk in nature, enjoy nature, mm. or go to a good concert or read a good book. Yes. We can rationalize it, we can make meaning out of it, and we can feel a deeper happiness. Yes. So in our brain, right, there are actually hedonic hotspots that pick up signals that we are experiencing something pleasurable. It's like ding. Then mm. your brain will release dopamine. Then it will make us like the thing that we are doing more. <laughs> then okay. our brain will be like, yeah, this is very enjoyable. Then we want to keep that feeling going or go and get it again in the future. Lah. Yes. Right? Yes. So in 1980s, right, a psychologist, Richard Solomon, he came up with this idea called opponent process theory. So generally, right, it states that whenever you feel one emotion, yes. you'll be prone to feeling the opposite emotion next. Ah. So you feel happy, right? After that, you'll feel sad. Mm. If you feel very nervous and stressed and excited, la, mm. after that, you'll feel relief. Mm. Yeah. And it's because, right, we have this baseline state called homeostasis. Okay. It's like a Goldilocks setting where we are not too happy or too sad. It's just baseline normal. Stasis. Yeah. Baseline normal. So after a super fun weekend or some milestone, right? Yeah. When our brain right swing very much into one direction, into like the very like yes, I'm so happy. Indeed, indeed, yeah, yeah. Then the brain need to swing back, swing to, all the way back, yeah, mm. to correct it, mm. to restabilize the whole thing, mm. yeah. And it works in reverse also. Mm. So sometimes, right, we can do a very high stress thing. Then after that, it becomes pleasurable. Like for example, going skydiving or something. Mm. It's very stressed, very scary, scary, scary. Then do really like ha, huh, quite short ah. I like it. Yes. Yeah. Because your brain will just flood back the opening. Yeah, yeah. Dopamine, the happy brain cans. Like, like the adrenaline also. Makes yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. All the brain cans. That is okay. the opposite. It will okay. flood back. 
So from an evolutionary standpoint, right, it makes sense because we should come down from our happiness highs. Because if we are happy and high all the time, right, then we won't pay attention to any potential threat like predators or danger or whatever. Mm, so mm. happy and contented, what? Mm, uh, mm, mm. Yeah. So the brain want to keep you safe. Yes. Yeah. So stability and precaution is not fun, la, but they are quite practical in terms of survival. Yes. Mm. So next time, right, if you feel sad and tired after feeling very excited and happy, right? Mm, just normal. how the brain works. <laughs> yeah. It's just your brain <laughs> trying to make you go back to baseline. No? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's how it keeps us safe. To swing it the other way so it becomes neutral. Uh, yeah. So if you feel very sad after the happiness, mm. it means that your happiness was a lot. Yeah. So I guess you can take comfort in that. Yes. Every high there is a there's a equal a low, and opposite low. A coming down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cannot cheat one. The system is like that one. This is the system to keep us safe. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's all. Okay. Very interesting. We've reached the almost end of our podcast and now it is time for one thing to recommend. My recommendation for this week is Boomerang Fool. A game. It's a game. It's a couch co-op game, multiplayer. You can run around and throw boomerangs at people. Mm-hmm. And then you can play in teams or against each other. I've got different modes. Lah. It's a very fun party game and you can choose from very cute characters like sushi, ice cream and toast. Toast. Once again. <laughs> okay, my recommendation for this week is also a game. Oh. Yeah, but mine is not a co-op game, mine is a solo game. Okay. It's called Link Picks. Oh. Yeah, it's like pick cross, but instead of filling out the squares, you draw lines between them. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the game, a picture is reviewed. Ah. So it's very satisfying. I usually play it to sleep. The music is like a lullaby to me. It's like mm. very chill. Yeah. Mm. Okay, we've reached the end of this week's podcast. Thank you, Eliza, for making this podcast with me. And thank you, Tian, for doing this podcast with me. If you have Googled anything interesting lately, you can drop us a DM or comment on any of our social media accounts and we will search it up on the show. You can also follow us on our Twitter, Instagram, or on our Facebook page where we post images of some of the things that we talked about today. You can also help share our show with your friends that might enjoy a comedy trivia podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can head over to our Patreon page and give us a small contribution to help us keep the show running. And now, we're off to record one more thing. A Patreon-only podcast called One One More More Thing. Thing. So, see you there. there.